1: Well, I went to the bank one day to get the loan, and I was introducing myself. I was um, having my uh, Director of Accounting and CFO with me, and uh, they're both young. And I was young as well, and I went to the bank and exchanging my business card and uh, talking about how we have a need in cash and, uh, you know, this is our business and this is how we were trying to grow our business and so on and so forth. After all this conversation, the guy in the bank said that, oh, okay. then next time, can you come back with your boss?
2: Welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. We're here to share fascinating stories and advice from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. If you're enjoying our podcast,
3: why not follow us on Instagram, where we post daily. You'll find us if you
2: search for Don't Stop Us Now podcast. And now for this week's episode... Our guest this week is Japanese Hotel and hospitality entrepreneur Aya Aso speaking to us from her home an hour outside of Tokyo until last year. Aya ran the hotel chain she founded a decade ago, the Agora Hotel Group, a multi award winning chain of resort and luxury hotels in japan and I have to say, Greta, that having a female
3: self-made entrepreneur in Japan is pretty unusual. But this didn't deter Aya from founding and growing the Agora business to the point where she had a thousand
2: employees. Incredible. Aya spent most of her childhood living in Brazil, and in her 20s, she studied to become a concert pianist in Los Angeles. However, that idea was put on the back burner when a part-time job at the Sheraton led to the discovery that she loved the hospitality industry. This set Aya on her career journey and led her back to Japan, where she ultimately started her business.
3: In today's episode, you'll hear how growing up in Brazil has impacted her as a businesswoman, how one of the most influential entrepreneurs in Japan took her under his wing and helped her learn the most important thing about running a company. That was an incredible opportunity. It sure was. What it was like to be a woman starting a business in Japan, how she lost most of her business after an earthquake devastated the travel industry in 2011 and what it felt like to build the company back up only to reach a point where she felt she had no other option but to walk away. Such a tough position to be in. It sure was.
2: Aya shares her story with such honesty and vulnerability. Her journey really is a testament to her accomplishments and her resilience. So without further ado... Please enjoy this week's episode with Aya Aso. Aya, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Hi, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Our oh, total pleasure. What's the weather like in Tokyo today?
1: Well, actually, I'm not in Tokyo. I'm in the middle of the forest called Karizawa. It's about one hour away, Highland Resort from Tokyo. And the weather is perfect. Spring has come the birds are singing around my house. Sounds fantastic.
2: We'll listen out for the chirping in the background occasionally then. Okay. Now you've been, as I understand it, a real global citizen. You spent a lot of your childhood in Brazil. You've lived and worked and studied in the US and and now you're back in your homeland of Japan. What was growing up in Brazil like as a child
1: and how has that impacted who you are now? Brazil is the farthest country from Japan, as you know, and it's also known as a melting pot, meaning that there's many immigrants from abroad. with a multi-culture and a multi-religion. And the language is Portuguese, but there's a lot of different languages around me. I moved there when I was nine years old with my parents. This diversified culture has made a big influence on my um, lifestyle later on.
3: It must have been really quite a shock to be nine years old and to end up in
1: Brazil. First of all, I didn't even know how to write the alphabet, so I learned from there. And obviously, I didn't know a word of Portuguese to speak. But the first day I was there, my father has pushed me out to the park. This is a Brazil that everybody's friendly and uh, welcoming. And, you know, some of the kids in a park has just um, called me into the circle and we started playing together. You know, I didn't know any language, what, you know, what they are talking about, but I did not feel uncomfortable when that happened. I went into a local school where all the classes are in Portuguese. But after a year uh, being in a school, myself and my sister only spoke in Portuguese and we were starting to forget Japanese. And actually my parents got a um, little bit scared about that. So, you know, as a child, it is very easy to get along and uh, be in in the different uh, environment. And I think it was the age was right to be in that kind of environment. I was nine when I was there. Yeah. Wow. What an experience. So Aya,
2: what about then you in Japan today? Do you think you've got characteristics that belie the fact that you grew up in or spent so much of your childhood in Brazil? Can other people in Japan tell you've got something different about you?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Of course, the openness of uh, the culture in Brazil has made me very open <laughs> to the people and to um, any incident that happens. I will be very... Come and flexible to the situation, and I think that's coming from a, a easy-going, easy life, happy life, uh, Latin lifestyle that we had when I was a childhood. So obviously, yes, I think I am very friendly to anybody compared to other the people in Japan. I think
2: that starts to make sense why you're in the hospitality and uh, travel business now. Then, by the sounds of it right (laughs) you've had such a a diverse
3: career a a bit like Greta and I we've had very diverse careers you've gone from being you know a, a concert pianist and then hospitality and then I think you went to an accounting firm then a property firm and then back to hospitality and then to being an entrepreneur how do you actually go about thinking what's next in your career
1: how i walked through my career was i was always thinking that i need to fill in some gap of my expectation i was studying music throughout my life until i was 22 3 and i didn't have any background in other academic field so when i got into this hospitality obviously I didn't know anything about the hospitality business or I didn't know anything about the business itself. I did not even know how the money is going around the company. <laughs> you know, how is guest finding the place to stay and, you know, out of all these hotels that are in town. So I didn't know anything about this marketing, accounting and the business itself. So my career that I moved into a CPA. It's not because I wanted to get the license or be an accountant, but I just wanted to learn the accounting, you know, the numbers. And after that, I have done a different career, but it's always I was trying to fill in the gap of what I did not know or I didn't have.
3: That makes complete sense
1: when I look at your
3: career. When you think back to your career and, and where you are now, what do you think were the real pivotal moments for you in your career?
1: That's a very uh, good question, and I haven't <laughs> actually thought about it.: <laughs> Well, when I started the hospitality, I met one lady who did the interview on the very first day, and she was the one who actually influenced me to fell in love with hospitality.: How did she make you fall in love with the hospitality industry?: You know, as I said, it was a part-time job. I went to the interview. I did not expect to have a interview by the director of rooms, who is, you know, in a hotel, probably number two or three in a position. And she invited me to her office to do the interview. And after the interview, she escorted me out to the front door. And while we were walking from the back door, she actually walked Side by side with me, I realized that she has actually bent down on the floor and she picked up something from the bar and put it in a pocket. And I didn't realize what it was. Very later on, I realized that something was left on the floor and put it in her pocket. That made me so impressed and that was so elegant the way that she did that without even having people around her to notice about it. And then she took me out to the front door to escort me out. Every moment with her was so elegant and uh, just fell in love with the hotel, but fell in love with her that I wanted to be like her.
3: Gosh, what a story.
1: It's such a simple
3: thing, isn't it? And it had such a profound impact on your life. Does she know that?
2: And
1: if not, will you tell her? Yes, I will. I would love to find her out what is she doing now. She was a managing uh, trainee at the time. She came out of Cornell. She was very young, um, on the very early 30s, but she already has a sort of a charisma and she has a very confidence in her. I can see that in herself. So I'm sure that she's she climbed up the uh, the ladder and she's in a very good position in the industry.
3: Yeah, what's her name? Just in case one of our listeners knows her.
1: Wow, Kerry Robinson. Kerry Robinson.
3: Okay, so if if anybody knows Kerry Robinson,
2: she was at the was at the Sheraton
3: in L.A. <laughs> she was. What other role models or people that have really impacted your life have there been?
1: After that, you know, I, had, I changed my careers. As I'm doing the um, entrepreneur and uh, leading the team, and so forth. The most influenced person who changed my life was the the founder of a company called Recruit. It's
3: a big company in Japan, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's it started as a publishing company, doing the travel agency, online travel agency as well. And this founder actually never worked under any corporate uh, environment. He founded his company when he was in college, and throughout uh, his career, he created his own style of management. And this was a huge impact in not only me, but there's a, a lot of people who has been influenced by him in the uh, entrepreneur world in Japan. All the startups are the, the people who came out of this uh, company called Recruit.
3: His name is um, Mr. Ezoe. Gosh, and if you could sort of summarize in a sentence what's different about his approach to others, what would it be?
1: He has been keep saying that the most important thing of running a company is nothing but the hiring good people. I always had that in mind, but I don't know if I'm good at hiring because um, when I was with him, I actually sat down with him when we... He was doing an interview with uh, some of the candidates to come into the company. He asked a very casual questions and talking about the daily life, or what do you like, you know, what have you done in the college, and so forth. But a very casual, nothing about anything about care or um, professional skills and so forth. But for some reason, he catches something out of this casual conversation. You know, we always said that he has a third eye mm-hmm. in between. <laughs> In his eyes, and uh, this uh, third eye looking into this candidate, something that behind it, and he actually pulls that. I was probably one of it, and uh, he found something out of me, who I was just an accountant in accounting firm, and um, he thought that I will be entrepreneur in my later life, and he taught me a lot about business and a lot about how to create my team and how to lead the business and how to find the opportunity and how I change myself out of this opportunity. Just goes to show the importance of
2: mentors and champions and role models who see in us what we can't always see in ourselves.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And so, you know,
3: talking about being an entrepreneur, you literally left the corporate world and jumped into Building a hotel group. How did you actually go about starting that new business and making the big leap?
1: Yes, when I started a company called Agora, it was two thousand seven, and it wasn't an easy time for hospitality, hotel industry, or the uh, travel industry in two thousand seven. That was right after I left the corporate world. I met one guy who bought a very beautiful resort in the middle of nowhere in a forest in front of the lake. He thought that it's easy to run the hotel, which is only fifty rooms, but at the you know actually hotel is a twenty four seven business it's you know it's three hundred sixty five days without it non stop It was much more difficult than what he thought the hotel business will be. And he gave up on running it. He called me and said, "Ayasan, can you help me to run this hotel? So I went and looked at the hotel. The hotel is about three hours from Tokyo, and it's very difficult to get there. But the location was quite impressive, very beautiful place in the nature. And I just uh, fell in love again with this uh, hotel. And I uh, decided to get involved with uh, uh, repositioning of this hotel In fact, I had to rebrand the hotel, uh, re-renovate the hotel, and uh, the whole project was waiting for me. And I was not actually planning to um, set up a company at a time. I was actually going on uh, business school at a time. plan was to set up a company after I graduated from business school. But because of this need from this uh, gentleman who bought this hotel, I had to set up a company to help him uh, repositioning a hotel.
2: And so did you literally acquire the hotel
1: from him? No, I didn't require. He owned it and uh, I was managing the hotel.
2: Right. And then how did Agora get built from there? Did you decide to expand and and lead that to yes.
1: us? Yes. This hotel is in the middle of the mountain, so... Obviously, it has a big seasonality in demand. It's only busy during the summertime of about two months. And the rest of the season, the occupancy is extremely low. In one of the days, it was occupancy zero. And I've never experienced that in, a, in any of the hotel I have worked in the past. When I took over the operation of this hotel, obviously I have a people who's working with me, about 30, in a busy time, about 50 people working with me. And I have to pay salary to this stuff. I did not have enough capital to run the hotel because I wasn't planning to build a company at the time. I was really having a very difficult time in cash flow for um, first year. And one day, um, one of the ski resort owner came to me and said, can you help me to operate this ski resort? You know, I grew up in Brazil in a very and in Los Angeles, where I have never experienced the snow in the past. I didn't know anything about the ski resort, but I went there and I found out that the ski resort is having a very difficult time during the summertime to fill the hotel. Luckily, this ski resort is just about a one hour from the resort which I was operating. And I figured out that why don't I combine a two-team of these two hotels together and make it one team and operate seasonally, you know, between these two hotels. So basically operate one hotel during the summertime and uh, move on to a uh, mountain to operate the ski resort during the winter time. And that's how I have uh, started to create the company, and started to build up Agora as a group, collecting the hotels, which has a different seasonality in the different part of Japan. By the
2: time you left Agora, how many uh, hotel properties did you have in the group?
1: I had 13 hotels. And then, if I'm not mistaken, difficult time struck. Yeah, uh, before I built the 13 hotels, when I only had three hotels, Actually the earthquake in Tohoku has hit Japan. We didn't have a direct, you know, impact of that. We didn't have any damage from the earthquake, but obviously um the whole travel industry has been sort of stopped and frozen. Nobody uh, was traveling at a time and um we had to close the hotel, two hotels out of 3. I had no choice but at that time to shut down the company and let people go and uh, work with other industry possibly and to dissolve the company. I only had 30 people working for my company at a time, so I could make a decision to close down the company. But something didn't do it and uh, didn't tell me to do that.
2: As in your intuition, you mean?
1: Intuition, I guess. And I was talking to the owner of two ryokans that I was operating at a time. I was saying that, can you support the company? I said, I will um, reposition the company. So can you take over Agora so that we will grow together? And uh, that's how I did not close my original uh, company. I found it and I let the company go through this solution. I sold a big portion of my company to this company. This uh, major, uh, listed company,
2: and how did that go for you in the following
1: years? I was running both uh, the parent company and the company which I founded, which became a subsidiary of that. And after six years of my position as a representative of the company, I I made it the company seven times uh, bigger in the revenue and um, about thirty um, number of staff to one thousand after the six years of my career in that, that position. Yeah, well, you must have felt pretty proud at that. Yes, yeah, so and there's a lot of challenges, but I, yes, I was proud too. So then
2: six years later, if I understand it, the major shareholder decided they wanted to expand and take full control of the company, which meant you had to leave. That must have been so difficult.
1: Yes, all my stuff is like my family, my big, big family, and uh, it was very difficult for myself to let it go. And I could not imagine the life without it. I have been spending ten years, three thousand six hundred and fifty days with this family. It was a lot of struggle in myself. At the beginning I didn't know what to do with I was very overwhelmed with this situation.
2: And what was the point that it got to when you were there that you
1: realized you had to let it go? Well, I was looking back all years that I have spent with a team. And, uh, I start to feel confident about what I, I have built and the culture I have built, the value that I have shared with my team and, uh, the mission and vision I gave. Many of my team said that they will not continue working with Agora unless, you know, having this vision and mission. So as long as they are there, company will continue with the way I dreamed of. I have to sort of digest that way so that let myself go to my next career and also to let the all the the people in agora to pursue what they have in their you know future.
3: Yeah. It sounds as if you've sort of gone through a grief process and you've been able to find a way to let it go. When you think about, you know, that whole process, because it must have been quite traumatic, how have you dealt with the conflict both within yourself, but also around the board table.
1: After I left the company, I took a sabbatical. I went to a trip with my friend, with my family. I read a lot of um, book. I just used that sabbatical time to do a lot of input into my, you know, life in the future.
3: Yeah. You found the space and the time to manage that conflict internally. If it's okay with you, Aya, we might move on just to talk a little bit about being a woman, particularly in Japan. What stories do you have about being a woman and being successful as a woman in Japan?
1: Well, I went to the bank one day to get the loan, and I was introducing myself. with I was um, having my uh, director of accounting and CFO with me, and uh, they are both young, and I was young as well. And I went to the bank and exchanging my business card and uh, talking about how we have a need in cash and, uh, you know, this is our business and this is how we were trying to grow our business and so on and so forth. After all this conversation, the guy in the bank said that, oh, okay, then next time can you come back with your boss? Wow. And and I, I had to say, oh, I'm sorry, but can you look at my business card again? I'm a boss of this company. <laughs> and what happened? He apologized but you know he, he didn't give me an easy time after that. He um was continued to demand for a, a number of number of um backup documents and uh, meetings and meetings after that. It was quite some a uh, challenge to get on. First of all, the business itself was very difficult in in a middle of the forest uh, nobody believes that this this hotel will be Uh, recovering from and uh, repositioning. So that's one of the reasons. And at the same time, the company was too new, too small, and the woman is running a company and no background in uh, running a company. It's just a startup. And all these uh, elements just made them very difficult to make a decision, use their capital. Right.
3: Yeah. So it sounds like there were many reasons, but being a woman just made it even harder.
2: Right. Yeah. And if you look back over your career, Aya, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Do you think?
1: Don't be afraid of being lonely. Don't afraid of loneliness. And uh, this is actually the word from uh, Mister Ezoe. He kept telling me after he has built the whole empire, and you know, thousands and thousands of team members, he said that. Even with that big family, he said a leader is lonely. But leader has to make decision by all by himself. Always have to fight with the loneliness. But don't feel fear about it. This is the mission of being a leader. That's fascinating.
2: And what if you felt loneliness in your times as leader, what strategies have
1: you used to deal with that? you know this this word from mr azoya was keep ringing in my uh myself so i try not to take it seriously and i thought that i changed this fear into my mission so whenever i felt loneliness i thought this is my mission and I think I have overcome with this word. And
2: so I'm, what I'm hearing, I think, is that what you're saying is when you feel lonely or fear or uncertainty, you keep reminding yourself of what your big goal and the vision for the business is, and, and that overrides the uncomfortable feelings. Is that right?
1: Right. Yeah, and also yeah. every, every time I make a decision, I always see my team in front of me, although they are not physically there. I see their faces. I see their smile when they actually made their, you know, achieve their goal. Just made me so um, happy and comfortable of being in loneliness and also making a big decision.
3: Wow. I love that idea of visualization as well about, you know, having your team there. Your team really motivate you and and make you want to be who you are. It's fantastic. Just as a last question, what would you tell your
1: 30-year-old self (laughs) <laughs> I will tell her that don't worry, you know, you have a bright future. <laughs> you have an amazing future. And I, I think I do now. Fantastic. Well great
3: place to get to when you don't have to worry about it so much.
1: Yes, I just had I just threw um my fifties birthday bus about two days ago. Two nights ago. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Hundred twenty people showed up. Wow. wow. All my friends from All years I have built my relations with them and they're so wonderful and I could see my ears through them. I can always go back to my 30 and said that, don't worry, you have this many people supporting you. your future life.
3: Yeah. Wow. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. The benefit of hindsight. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Aya. We've really loved this conversation with you. Thank you for being so honest and open and authentic. And may your new company, the Savvy Collective, go from strength to strength. Thank you. And indeed, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you or find out more about the Savvy Collective,
1: how would they find you? Email me through my, um, there's a homepage, um, SavvyCollective.com. Always LinkedIn, I'm there. Just find me.
3: Great. Well, we'll make sure that we link to those in our show notes. Sure. All right. Well, thank you so much again.
1: No, thank you very much for the opportunity.
2: We really hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as we did. I think what really hit me was the way in which Aya was able to be so vulnerable and real about the hard times, and yet at the same time you could absolutely feel her strength and resolve. She's got such grit. Yeah, incredible resilience. And hey, I really hope she finds the woman
3: who inspired her all those years ago to join the hospitality
2: industry. Wouldn't that be great? And wouldn't it be great if it happened because of this podcast? Yeah, it sure would. So anyone out there who knows someone called kerry robinson who used to work at the sheraton los angeles about 20 years ago let us know
3: that would be so cool wouldn't it yeah well that's episode 14 done and dusted we'll be back in two weeks time with a truly unique guest i'm speaking about the fearless cindy Gallup, former global advertising executive and now founder of a business set up to counter the negative effects of pornography See you then.
2: I can't wait for that. Sayonara for now.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.